0: Hello, and welcome to A Girl, A Guy, and a Buffy Podcast.
1: Yes, hello, welcome (laughs) back. I'm Kate Baldwin.
0: And I'm Charles Swint, Um, and we are a Buffy Podcast, um, as the title would imply.
1: (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Yeah, and we're talking about one of our favorite shows, and... For those of you that are joining us for the first time, we are not doing your typical um, episode by episode review. We've we've gone a more thematic route, and this first season, we're looking at the show through a feminist and gender lens. And each episode, we're taking on different topics with that perspective. Um, and so today, we are looking at sex and sexuality in the Buffyverse. Yes. And what's our question that we're we're going to be exploring today?
0: Um, so we've got lots, we have so many questions, so let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Um, so the question that we have today is, (laughs) was the sex on Buffy empowering? Um, Yeah, that's a
1: good question, um. I think first we kind of need to do, again, some level setting and talk about what's how sex was portrayed on television, particularly on teen shows <laughs> um, at that time.
0: I literally thought you were going to say, and I know you weren't, but for some reason, I thought you were going to say, we should establish, what is sex?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so maybe we, do we need to go that basic?
0: Um, <laughs> We'll let you all determine what you think is sex.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Go
0: from there. I'm not gatekeeping <laughs> your sexuality.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, what was sex like on teen shows in the 90s, Charles?
0: Oh, gosh, it was so, you know what? Teen sex in the 90s was all over the place. It was, um, it wasn't, it wasn't like hot and steamy necessarily. Yeah. Um, no it was very it was much more chaste um and i mean we were coming off the heels like the 90s was a time like we were just coming out of um like the hiv crisis was like huge on everybody's mind and like yeah. everyone was talking about it and it was such a, a critical uh it was such a critical junction and how television and pop culture started to relate to sex and sexuality. And so, you know, songs like Salt and Pepper," like, Let's Talk About Sex, like that song was talking about, like, using protection. And, like, it was becoming a very big thing about talking, trying to have a conversation about sex using pop culture and, and media as a way of informing um, young people about sex. So it wasn't like this se- it wasn't like anything that you would have seen on like Euphoria now, for sure.
1: Right, right, yeah. Like, um, funny enough, another Sarah M- Michelle Gellar uh, project, uh, Cruel Intentions, was certainly seen as um, you know almost too racy and and too much for the the teen film genre. And now that would probably look like super tame today compared to what teen shows are doing now, particularly on on streaming or or paid like. HBO.
0: For sure. I mean, Ryan Philippe's Naked Bottom was definitely like sexual awakening for me.
1: <laughs> Understandable. I
0: was like, thank you. Thank you. I didn't know. And here it is. Thanks, guys.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would say teen sex in the 90s was certainly not very nuanced. Um, it was probably a lot of particularly for young women, there was a lot of judgment, a lot of shaming. Like Mm -hmm. you, you know, you were, if you decided to, if you were a virgin and decided to have sex, you, you know, unless you were having it with like somebody you were in a long-term relationship with, and you also didn't like, you know, you had to go back and forth and not that it isn't a big decision, but like, you know, there was all this sort of cultural norms wrapped up in it and the, you know, how we see women and particularly young women and their sexuality.
0: It was very much the modern ta- modern day fairy tale and sort of grim yeah. fairy tale of of a scare tactic of keeping young people um, from having sex, especially on television. You know, I think some, yeah. you know, but it does seem that like in some shows, they that the more affluent you were, the more yeah. the more free you could be with your sexuality, and I think that says a lot too about saying. You have those ec- because you have those economic freedoms. You have more access to drugs, alcohol, um, and possibly other options. You know right. when you're talking about that stuff. So I think there's a subtle underlying of you know classism and and how we talk about sex and um, and our sexual responsibilities based on um, on our accessibility of yeah. things.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a really good of point. Of
0: resources.
1: I think the other part of that, too, is how it was often portrayed um, between the classes is, you know, more affluent and particularly like incredibly, you know, rich characters. There was a sense of the parents weren't really paying attention. So there was that element to you, like there was more ability to be permissive. Because you didn't have anybody watching you. You didn't have to be home by a certain time. You know, right. that was sort of the stereotype. Um
0: They certainly weren't talking about queer relationships or queer sexual relationships. I mean, it was just enough to have queer characters on television, um, much less, you know, them having sex with each other um, or understanding their own sexual identity. So I think, you know, the. I think the 90s were trying to be responsible, but I think because of the Uh, Because of the AIDS crisis, there was so much of a course correct that went, I think, a little bit too far in the other direction of trying to keep people, you know, completely abstinent instead of talking about the actual responsibilities of being a sexually active young person.
1: Yeah, I think it was definitely a period of transition because as we said, um, you know, I think we talked about in our first episode that, you know, focusing on teens and teen culture, particularly in television was really starting to grow in the nineties and become its own, you know, phenomenon, own focus. So I think you were really transitioning during that period between sort of the after-school special slash very special episodes that you would have more in the seventies and eighties mm-hmm. to something that was much more, you know, there was a bit more nuanced. They weren't quite there yet compared to you know what you're seeing nowadays um you know partially because as you said so many groups were left out it tended to be you know obviously very um heteronormative um you know also tended to be focused often on white characters that were middle class or affluent so there's a lot being a lot of stories being left out that have we've seen more of in the last 20 years but i definitely think there was developing nuance with shows like my so-called life. And like you said, skins from the UK and, um, you know, and, and Buffy, honestly, one of the things Buffy certainly did was it centered it in the female character um, because she was the lead. And then the other female characters as well, you know, it was her choices, her point of view, um, even though it was, you know, primarily being told, you know, by a male showrunner, I still think you had a lot of, there wasn't that sort of we're we're watching from afar. We're watching it through her perspective. Buffy had her own ability to make those choices. It's interesting that like the way Anya and Cordelia approach sex, I feel is very um kind of they look, you know, they're it's looked on positively. Like they're not shamed for being embracing sex, embracing their sexuality, even Cordelia in high school. Like she's not slut-shamed. Um you know, maybe by like a side character, but none of the main characters. And I certainly don't think the show presents her that way at right. all. Um, so it's interesting that I think that's great. Like there was a lot of, in, along with all the messiness and the complications and a lot of the like maybe unhealthy emotional relationships, for the most part, particularly I think for the female characters, you know, there was a lot of healthy, positive portrayals of sex.
0: I think so. Uh, And I think, you know, I think too, in terms of, you know, even how the show was filmed. And I think we've discussed this before too, how the show was filmed. It didn't over-sexualize the women that was never, you know, never those slow pans up or never like focused on, you know, on their breasts or anything like that. It was never, it was never filmed in like a creepy way or anything like that. Um, And so, and even the sex scenes with, with Buffy and Spike, which were I mean the, those scenes were a little bit, you know, racy for sure. And
1: especially for that time. Now yeah, they're
0: taint, But yeah. yes. Um but you know, Buffy and Spike on the, you know, in the bronze overlooking the their friends. One. The balcony scene is just yeah. like
1: in dead things for sure. It's
0: so oh it's I, I feel so many things about that. Um and I don't even know where to start. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah. So yeah, um, there's just a, there's just a lot, but I so overall I think it did, you know it wasn't a show about sex and sexuality, so that was cool. But it was a, so they're not really looking at those things um, necessarily, in, except in terms of you know human development and and how we grow up and uh, those things being parts of our lives. So. I think in those ways, yes, it, you know, it was sort of empowering it because it gave us some different ways to look at sex, and to look at sexual relationships, and to explore what those things, like what are good relationships, what are bad relationships. We get the good relationship with you know, with Oz and Willow, surrounded by all of these other like. Buffy and Angel and this weird sort of, you know, creature of the night sort of situation happening and then the shameful relationship with, so we do get to compare and see well which one do I actually want, but there could have been more discussions I think between the characters about their relationships and their sexual relationships. but also, it yeah. wasn't a show about sex. It was a show about vampires. So,
1: yeah. Well, it was a it was a show about you know the supernatural imposed on high school and then growing up as a young adult for sure. But you know, it's funny that you say that about. There could be more done. One of the things I really thought about, other than after her night with Parker, where she gabs with willow and you know it doesn't get into a lot of details but they do talk about like you know Mm -hmm. not only the relationship stuff but the sex stuff that's really like the only sex conversation and i felt like as they got older and granted they were you know there was a lot of emotional um stuff happening in season six a lot of everyone falling apart as they make their way into adulthood but and Buffy was ashamed of her relationship with sex, so she uh, sex with Spike, so she certainly wasn't going to talk about sex. Mm-hmm. But there was never like a lot of that kind of girl talk, which yeah. I think was missing out. Um, you know, we don't even have like, other than like, oh, and then Joyce just after she finds out that Buffy slept with Angel because Angelus tells her, you know, she has the safe sex conversation, but you also don't like. See, as they get older, any healthy conversations about Mm -hmm. sex between mother and daughter, either.
0: And I think the and ironically enough, or maybe not so much, is the the only person who's really talking about straightforwardly about sex is Anya, and it's because of and maybe it's because of her, you know, how she's written, which. That gets into a whole other thing because her character right. keeps changing all the time of like yes. who she's supposed to be. But <laughs> the one so thing okay. that never the one thing that never really changes is that she's always like, I like sex, I want sex, and oh, and sometimes we go off and we have sex together, and this is what it's like. And that and she's very pragmatic about it, and she has like zero shame about it, and she's like, Yeah, I'll tell you about it. I'm telling you what I like, and I tell you it feels good, and I'm going to tell everybody. Is it appropriate? not always especially when dawn's around it's not necessarily appropriate but the fact that she does um one of the funniest things to me i think it's funny but also just really telling is like when and um when xander gets split apart when he gets split into two and yeah. right before um they put him back together anya's like um can we just keep them apart for a minute just cuz i want to see what that's like And everyone looks at her weird, and it's like, it's a fair statement. I mean, I I think it's a fair statement for her to make. I totally agree. She likes one, why wouldn't she like two? Let's, you know.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, and you know, one thing I've never really thought about before, but it just kind of came to me as you were talking, we also didn't take into account when Anya was born. And in the Mm -hmm. culture she was born into. And then she's lived for 1,100 years and seen multiple cultures, then, you know, seen sexual humanity and mores and attitudes toward it, like, evolve over time. So she certainly has a different perspective about Mm -hmm. sex than, you know, modern-day America based in its, like, puritanical shame about sex.
0: Right. You know,
1: that, of course, like... Why wouldn't she be that way?
0: Yeah, I mean, she's been around the world. She's seen it all. She's yeah lived through countless revolutions, countless like you know the development of humanity. Um, so yeah, there's and again, but it's about like how her her character is written. There are inconsistencies about some of those things, like her attitudes about sex, are one way, but her but other things it doesn't make any sense. Um, yeah, agreed. agreed. Yeah, but um.
1: But weirdly, I do think in spite of the characters looking at her weird for all the like, or embarrassed for all the things she'll say out loud, particularly as it relates to sex. I don't actually feel like the show is judging her for it. You know, I think the characters are uncomfortable because of how the characters might feel about sex and talking Mm. about it. But I don't think that's like the show is saying Anya's wrong.
0: Yeah, I don't think so. I think everyone else is like. Any, right. you're wrong and these are inappropriate and yeah you know and she says that a lot she's like i'm always being told that the things that i say are weird right. and widely inappropriate <laughs> like, and i don't understand that um so we're talking about sex and sexuality and buffy i mean it's hard pressed not to talk about angel
1: yeah absolutely I mean,
0: we have to um since that was her her first time
1: yeah for sure
0: um And what that looked like, I mean, they, I mean, talking about, you know, the warning, you know, these sort of warnings of, you know, the dangers of having sex and all of this other stuff. I mean, this is the ultimate warning, like, sleep with the guy and he's going to murder everyone in town.
1: (laughs) Exactly. I mean, it's bad enough that, like, there's pressure put on young women about whether or not they do or don't have sex and when and all those kinds of choices. And then you have, like, this whole other element added on top of it
0: right <laughs>
1: that she didn't even know about
0: right but and like the, she
1: takes on that guilt for her, so
0: yeah and then and so what does that say like because just because you sleep with a guy and he becomes a jerk afterwards because he got what he wanted that's you know you don't have to carry that weight on you that's not your fault
1: no it's true like take away the supernatural elements if if somebody uh, sleeps with someone and like you said, they get what they want. And, you know, in this case, obviously it's male-female relationship, but I think that's true of anything. It's not your fault. I mean, if you had, you know, no in- inclination that they they had that or that's what they were trying to do, they just wanted to get you into bed, you know, I mean, it's it's so terrible that somebody would feel guilt and shame for it because it's not your fault.
0: And I think, I mean, when you look at it, Angel is the ultimate narcissist. I mean, he is yeah. completely, I mean, and even as Angelus, he's kind of, he is a little bit of a narcissist. He's, I mean, he's, you know, he's very broody. He's like, it's about me. And it's about, you know, and I think he tries to be sweet and, and he is a nice guy, but I think he sort of.
1: Well, there's definitely a sense of, to me anyway, of stunted growth in Angel, um, you know, the fact that he spends, like, 100 years, you know, it says something that he didn't even, at any point over that time, like, start to try and do good or make changes or, you know, pull himself together. But,
0: I mean, it takes Buffy, It you know, it takes seeing Buffy for him to, I guess, to start to realize that, that he needs to do that after, you know, 100 years. But it yeah. really shouldn't have taken a 16-year-old girl to, like get your moral compass back (laughs) in place
1: well yeah i mean that says a lot and that puts an awfully terrible burden on poor buffy whether she knows it or not you can't have like a real partnership when it's there's sort of that sense of imbalance in it
0: Mm -hmm. does that make sense yeah absolutely you may look like you're in your 20s or whatever and i you know what quite frankly it doesn't matter because still there's there's always this age imbalance because even if you like go with the conceit that he was in his 20s or whatever when he got turned and so he will always be that age externally she's still 16 that's still yeah. an inappropriate relationship <laughs>
1: yeah exactly exactly yeah
0: it's never not okay right and we all fell for it, though. We all swooned. Oh, 100%. We all bought into it. We were like, yes. I'm
1: <laughs> sure there are some fans out there who were like, I didn't. I knew that from the start. But, like, yeah, most of us. Um, I was actually watching a clip today because uh, I was kind of curious to say what, if if there was any quotes from Joss Whedon about how he felt about the vampires in the universe. He was saying that when he thought of the idea of like, Oh, there's this vampire and he's going to kiss her. And then his you know, vampire face comes out and everyone's going to think this is like, so stupid and hokey. And he's like, no, they all like loved it. And like where it went from there. And I was like, Oh, we all bought into it.
0: Oh, absolutely. (laughs)
1: But then. I know.
0: Let's talk about Spike.
1: Oh, we're going to skip Riley?
0: Can we please? (laughs) We could talk about Riley.
1: (laughs) I think sex between Buffy and Riley in season four is portrayed very positively. Um, You know, it kind of, they show her enjoying it. They show like honeymoon phase. So I think that's kind of really refreshing. You know, she's a freshman in college, 18 years old Then 19. Well, I think she's more than 19 by the time they first sleep together. So, you know he's her third partner at this point um i think she's kind of coming into her own so it's interesting that it's you know with rallying with the human guy i'm not saying there's not flaws in their relationship 100 percent right. but i think as far as sex goes it's certainly in that beginning stage that season four i think probably her healthiest
0: so and i want to clarify when you're talking about partner you you mean her her third sexual partner
1: Yes, sorry, and correct. That, Third yeah, sexual okay. partner. Yes, thank with... you for Clay. So, first there was Angel, then obviously she had sex with Parker, which
0: Parker, right? You know,
1: again, she thought was going to be something more, and he was there for the one night stand, which when you think about her relationships in totality, it's really mean for the show to have done that to her back to back. Mm hmm. Probably somewhat realistic, but still mean.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but then it also kind of goes to how she how she treats Riley and how she yeah. does kind of keep him at arm's length for a lot of it, especially for, like, the emotional stuff right. um, surrounding it. But then she's found someone who she can kind of, you know, once the secret is revealed and, it, you know, she's like, oh, you're in the initiative and, oh, you're the slave. Once they kind of get on that same page and right. then, you know, they start having the physical relationship which i think for the first time for buffy this is like yes finally i can have what feels like safe sex with someone who feels yeah. safe who's not going to abandon me but i'm still keeping him at a distance emotionally because i'm i don't think she's ready for the emotional toll that she really has to go through but
1: well and her trauma you know, her mechanism for dealing with trauma is to shut herself down. Right. So that's a lot of it because she hasn't dealt with her trauma, with her, you know, mental health, with all the things that have happened in her life. Right. Uh, you know, even not related to the supernatural, just going back to her, like her parents' divorce. Mm-hmm. You know, she's never dealt with in a, a healthy way through therapy, through you know, actually talking about it, even talking about it just with people in her life.
0: Right. Um,
1: And so, yeah, that's, you have that disconnect where she's sort of having this healthy sexual relationship, but another emotionally unhealthy relationship at the same time with the same person.
0: Right. And then that healthy relationship turns into something weird and phantasmagoric and, you know, then yeah. we get where the wild things are, you know. But you know,
1: it's, Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was thinking about this today as I was, like, preparing for this conversation. And even that is, like, you know, as not great as we both think that episode is, it's, it's surprisingly, there's a surprising lack of shame about the sex thing get up to. Now, her friends are, like, you guys are, like, we're sick of the honeymoon phase. Stop, like, you know, always wanting to get out.
0: But the initiative does. Those guys rag on him. They make They make a lot of statements. They make a lot of sly comments at the side of their mouth once they leave the room about them going off to have sex. And it's like, you know what? That's not your place.
1: The patriarchy uses judgment and shame, particularly towards women and sex, as a way to control. Um, And so that's certainly apropos of what the initiative represents in that season. So messy and complicated. Which makes it hard to have you know I think feelings about because you have so many different feelings and you're like oh should I be feeling this way should I not be feeling this way but I think that's to me that's always been the most wonderful part of the show and that's why I've often liked the later seasons um more as far as like going back to as great as the high school years were is because life is so gray and messy and complicated that I love that the show always embraced that and sex and sexuality is messy and complicated in so many ways. And I certainly think the show never shied away from that fact.
0: It's very messy and complicated, mm-hmm. especially if you're doing it right. Um <laughs> But, but <laughs> Speaking of that being complicated. Uh,
1: so good transition. Moving um, on to Spike and Buffy. Let's
0: get into Spike and Buffy. Um they certainly got into each other. And I mean that and like <laughs> and I mean that in a very like intimate way. I mean they were very, yeah. I mean, there were times like they were into each other. Like yeah. when they were together, like yeah. that, I mean it was passion, it was fire, it was not healthy. It True. was abusive. It was manipulative. It was yeah. opportunistic. It was all like it was all of those things. Yeah, um, and
1: we're really talking about pre-soul spike right now, correct?
0: Yes, pre-soul yeah. spike. Because actually, once do they even have? They don't have sex. No. After well,
1: he, the, after they he le- gets his
0: soul, they don't have. They sex. leave
1: it open-ended in one of the final episodes is yeah. after she saw it she gave the cookie speech to angel right she comes back to the basement and they go to black and the whole point was whatever the fan can imagine whatever they want
0: like, I choose I choose to think that they did not
1: that's what I think too I, which to me is sort of the point of where they get to in their relationship in season seven
0: right that that's the like that that's the healthy part is that correct they can lean on each other right emotionally during these difficult times because they understand each other now. Yeah. Um, and that the sex and the sex is actually the thing that's getting in the way of them having a really good, really good relationship. Yeah. But that's just me. Um, but that at that point in time and, and later on it develops again. If you read the comics, right. goes on and there's a whole lot of other stuff that happens in the comics that's like, yeah. oh um <laughs> okay, well yeah. they get it. Um
1: and when we when we're talking about the comics here, because I know there are lots of Buffy comics. We're talking about what they consider like a continuation of the seasons. You know, when they, they call those seasons 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12 in the comics. So that's right. specific to what we're referencing here, if you haven't read any of the comics.
0: They're, they're interesting and they're very good. But um, back to Spike. Um, what are your thoughts on Spike?
1: Oh, what are my thoughts? So many thoughts, thoughts on thoughts on thoughts. <laughs> um, yeah. It's interesting. Well, I'm, you know, I've been rewatching the series for this for these conversations. Cause it'd been a while since I had done a whole rewatch and yeah, it's, you know, I, I have to somewhat think about what did I think back then? And a lot of what I thought back then has changed so much mm-hmm. now in going back and rewatching it for multiple reasons. Yeah. Um, So it's interesting i think back then i saw during the you know particularly later season five into their sexual relationship in season six more moments of tenderness and almost romantic isn't quite the right word but maybe tenderness vulnerability and now watching it again i see none of that Mm -hmm. um it's just them if they're not going at each other fighting or verbally, they're going at each other sexually. Like mm-hmm. there was almost, there were there were moments before the sex started for sure that were like really beautiful. And I think actually one of the last times or one of the only times something happens that way is ironically in dead things, um, which, you know, is certainly one could argue one of the most intense moments in their in their sexual relationship or in you know in their relationship in general because of what she does to him in the alley the way she physically takes out her emotions on him in the alley and um
0: and also the fact that she allows her to
1: yeah well what i was going to say is in the beginning of that episode when they're having sex and then they cut to them under the rugs in his crypt mm. they actually have this like Kind of sweet, funny, charming conversation. He jokes about, you know, having eaten a decorator and, you know, such. And then all of a sudden he like interrupts it and he's like, what's going on? And I was like, why did you interrupt it? Like you were like bonding over like in a really actually kind of good way. So, um, you know, but that was sort of the exception to the rule. I had more memory of like more of those moments. And at least going back and rewatching it now, I'm like, I don't see any of that. It was like, it was purely like a destructive physical relationship on all levels. Mm -hmm. Like, like um, verbally, sexually, and then physically in the sense of like fighting.
0: Yeah. And I think too, also there is, I mean, there is this manipulation in the sort of mind game. Um, that, that goes along with it. And I think he's, and again, and I think this is because of the lack of the soul situation happened. Yes. He's got a chip, so he can't hurt people. Um, But then, you know, they change that rule when she comes back, you know, because I think they needed a reason for him to be able to, for them to be able to, like, fight each other, um, to build up this, like, this tension uh, between each other. And I think that's the only reason why they sort of give her this mystical sunburn or whatever that, you know.
1: Well, and and it basically weirdly equalizes them. They're both Mm -hmm. equal levels of strength now. Like, she can... He can now go after her as much as she goes after him. Right. Like, I think it would, you, it would 100% change the relationship Mm -hmm. if any of that had happened. And he, he could not physically harm her.
0: Right. And I mean, and the fact, and too, like, and that, and knowing that, and the fact when she does, like, beat him up in the alley and she's, like, punching the, like, he could have stopped her. Yeah. But he chose to just let her keep, you know. Right take it um but I think like there are these moments where you know there's like right after she comes back you know yes she's like they they have those moments where she tells them that she's been in heaven and she's you know they're sitting on there so she's starting to open up to him so I think okay. I think those moments of vulnerability happened in the early times and I think those that sort of feeling sort of carried over Um, throughout it but then when you when they start having sex you really see him sort of almost using that yeah as his way in and and like isolating her and again this is what and this is kind of what uh, this is what abusers not kind of what this is what abusers do is that they isolate people from their friends. They take what they know and they sort of keep you in this thing. And so, what it is, is it does become an abusive relationship. It is sort of a he's there's definitely, definitely
1: emotionally ma- manipulating, but there's her. definitely
0: manipulating. She's yeah. her, he's manipulating her and he's he's certainly taking her.
1: advantage of her current mindset.
0: Yes. Um, so whether you want to call that you know, assault or something like that. I, you know, that's for, I think a therapist to really sort of to nail out, but I think there it's definitely. um,
1: It's certainly an equally toxic relationship on both sides. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, So anyway, I'm, you know, I think with Spike, because he has so much heart and he was such a good human being Mm -hmm. as a vampire, if he had had a different group, he was with, you know, or a different sire who wasn't about the chaos and so much evilness as Angelus and Darla are, and -hmm. then didn't have, you know, the insanity that Drusilla is. And obviously we get the implication, you know, that violence is very much a part of their sexual relationship, because when Spike wants Willow to do the spell to bring Drusilla back, he just ends up giving up and says, I'm just going to go back and basically torture her into loving me again.
0: Right. So yeah. as a
1: vampire, he's never been taught healthy, you know, sex, healthy relationships. He's only had messed up relationships. Right. And then he uses harmony for, again for sex. Has no right. emotional feeling for her. So from that perspective, it you know, he has no He never had that experience. He had nothing to draw from, but all those, you know, he doesn't see them as negative, but they really are.
0: But that begs the question too, can a vampire have a a healthy sexual relationship? Are vampires even able to have healthy sexual relationships, soul or no soul? I mean.
1: Yeah, I think within the way they they set up the context of the souls, which, you know, obviously was set up like for a specific storyline that they didn't really universe build. A true theory about okay. it. Um, it just sort of developed from there. And so it was held up as the be- all end all, certainly with vampires. Um that yeah, I would agree that the way the show sets it up, that Spike can never truly love anyone without a soul, that it, there's always going to be a selfishness
0: mm-hmm. at
1: at the bare minimum to how he feels,
0: right. Um, And there are other, you know, and we're talking primarily about Buffy's relationships and her sexual relationships, but there are other relationships that happened that were um, good, bad, and indifferent. Um, There are, of course, lists out there and all of that stuff. I actually saw, there's a couple of lists that I saw that, like, ranked the relationships um of all of the other ones and it was like you know five best relationships um and it started going down and as i was scrolling i was like okay yeah that makes sense and it was like riley and buffy and parker and it named all the. and then it was like spike and angel and it was like and it was at like number three or whatever mm-hmm. and got to like two and i was like well, wait who's number one? Like, who's the best relationship? And then I like scrolled down and it was like, Oz and Willow. And I was like, of course, yes, Oz and Willow have like one of the best relationships. Although I would say that, like, I think they probably had one of the better relationships. But I mean, Willow and Tara also had a really uh, lovely relationship.
1: Yeah, I mean um, I certainly think in the context of sex and sexuality and first time on the show mm-hmm. um Willow definitely is probably the the best example and I mm-hmm. think the, the 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 most healthy. Yes. For sure. Um yeah. you know her that that was a real partnership with her and Oz he was respectful of her Mm -hmm. you know even though she felt like she was ready he recognized that she at first was just trying to have sex with him because he was already experienced and he's like that's not the reason for us to have sex which I think is like unbelievably beautiful and you know shows his maturity and his respect for her which is what I loved about their relationship and yeah I I think that that is definitely one of the healthiest and i think you know relationships are gonna have ups and downs so obviously they did as well and and she and tara did but i think overall her and tara also had probably the healthiest relationship yeah um you know before the really bad magic addiction metaphor was used i mean i'm not i love the willow storyline as far as like that is believable to me that she would get out of control the fact that they turned it into this like cliche addiction storyline yeah kind of is you know took away from what was developing into like a fascinating character journey for
0: willow right sort of undercutting it a little bit yeah and then you know and when you look at xander and his relation i mean his relationship with cordelia was kind of suspect too because like it started off you know hiding in closets and you know and this very sneaky and shameful it's a lot of sneaky shamey sort of making out and sex and i don't want my friends to know about you and you're not you're not worth me and all that stuff which i also think is really interesting that that behavior like that's how he was treated and it's kind of how he treats anya later Uh, like and it's like these patterns of behavior how they were treated is how they treat the next person and i think i mean that's that's what we do as people is that we internalize all that trauma and then we like turn it around on other people.
1: Yeah. And I think also with Xander too, all of his relationships started with sex. Like yes. He did not start just dating someone in a normal, healthy way. Mm-hmm. You know, it was making out with Cordelia and then they decided to try for like a real relationship. Um, But I think they never really got over the you know, the differences in their social status within the high school context. And then, well, and then obviously he cheats on her. So, you know, that's a big, right. <laughs> that's a big issue. But I think that's also shows his immaturity because sure. like, you know, he, for so long he ignored Willow and she had a crush on him and then he suddenly can't have her. So, of course, it's what he wants.
0: Right. You
1: know, that certainly shows his his immaturity um, as a young man. And then you have, obviously, his first time with Faith is just right. her using him.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Not that I think he was expecting some sort of relationship. but um, And then, obviously, it turns dark. When but he, he
0: does have a special connection with her.
1: <laughs> saying, well, about Faith. So, first time, she's using him. And then the second time when he goes to... Uh, play on their con- supposed connection she almost chokes them to death right uh and then with Anya it starts as sex and she approaches him and's like I'm you know I'm in this human body now I miss sex let's have sex and then she takes it to be more um now she suddenly wants a relationship uh-huh. and he's not really expecting that certainly in the way Anya approaches it um you know which to her is very like kind of methodical <laughs>
0: right well she's like like, well you know not the the way he's used to
1: yeah exactly um and so you know they develop in this they kind of don't start from like the right foundation so I think that's why they they fall apart and then of course you know Xander has a lot of um issues relating to his home life and that's why he freaks out when on his wedding day but yeah it's interesting
0: so okay did you hey did you take that quiz
1: I did. I kind of forced the answer cuz it was kind of obvious uh-huh. like what to say.
0: <laughs> did you force it to a, you forced it to a Spike answer, didn't you?
1: I did. Not just <laughs> because that's I was just it was just more like uh I really if I if I'm going to choose just because of where they end up in season 7, after the soul to me is always like the more interesting, so I'm like, eh, I'm going to choose Spike for her. <laughs>
0: There is a there's a quiz that was we found online that um, asks you you know it's it asks you questions and then it will tell you which boyfriend um, which Buffy boyfriend you would end up with based on your answers. Um, I also ended up with Spike, but I tried to answer mine very honestly, um, so I don't know what that says about me.
1: I did too, <laughs> but I just thought like.
0: I, I mean, mean they were very that, leading, for sure. Well,
1: yeah, that was the thing. The, the, like, choices were so obvious that we were like, oh, if I choose this one, it's going to be Angel. If I choose this one, it's going to be Spike. And if I choose this one, it's going to be Riley. It was like, they needed to mix it up a little. But, yeah, I, I
0: think it, the best the best relationship that Buffy had was the one just when she was by herself. When it was just her. And her choosing herself yeah. Um, over everything else is really, I mean, that's the message right there. And I think that's the the thing, that's the big takeaway is that no matter what kind of relationship you're in, whether it's a good one, whether it's a bad one, or whether it's toxic, or even if it's a, you know, if it's like the the love of your life, like at some point, you still have to continue to choose yourself every day.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, when you say that, thinking about how she ended things with Spike, Um, I think that was probably an incredibly empowering moment because she did it not only for herself, but for him. I think she also recognized like he deserved better. He might, she might not like him very much in that moment. Um, but you know, not only did she not want to be using him, but he shouldn't let himself be used that way.
0: Right.
1: You know, no, like everything else in Buffy, sex and sexuality is messy. Complicated, often painful. But, you know, it certainly makes for interesting storytelling. A lot has changed since those days, too. I mean, storytelling and on sex and sexuality and particularly in related to teen stories has grown and developed so much. But I think Buffy definitely, like so many aspects to television and teen shows, set the baseline for it.
0: And while and while these and I, I'm a firm believer that I do believe that you can use um television and, and media and things like that and as a way to start conversations about about these things. And so while these things are happening and while they're not great, it's a I think they're great tools to start talking about toxic relationships and things like that. Yeah. And I don't want to turn this into like a very special episode of I got a girl and Buffy podcast, but if anyone <laughs> out there is like dealing with um, with issues there you know, there are resources available. there is help yeah. out there. We will we can put some some links to resources and things like that in our show notes. and we're gonna talk more um, in depth. this is kind of leading into our season finale yes. two parter here um, that we've got coming up. And so we're gonna it's gonna get it's gonna get crazy y'all. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna go into it. Um, get a little gonna, more intense. We're gonna we're confronting the big bad <laughs> the biggest and baddest of all of the things yes. um you know when it comes to to the ideas of feminism and gender and stuff in the buffy first and so um it's gonna be a long one but it's gonna be um it's gonna be hopefully a good one yeah a good one so thank you all so much for joining us um this week
1: yes thank you so much for tuning in we hope you enjoyed the discussion. We definitely want to hear your thoughts. If you want to send us an email with your thoughts, questions, concerns, you can email us at abuffypodcast at gmail.com.
0: We're on Facebook and Instagram at abuffypodcast. And if you like what you hear, please like and subscribe and download our podcast. We would thoroughly love it. And make sure to leave us a review um, and, you know, send us some stars and some love. Yeah, let
1: us know what you think.
0: All right. Thanks. Bye.
1: Bye.